Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, October 13th, the National Clown Threat Edition. I'm Allison Benedict, an editor at Slate and the mom of Harry 7, Sam 5, and Wally 3. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm also an editor at Slate. I'm the dad of Lyra who's 11, and Harper, who's 9. God, your kids are getting old. Hi, Dan. I know, they're really old. Hi. On today's show, we'll talk to RJ Palacio, author of the blockbuster book Wonder about bullying and the Choose Kind campaign. Then Dan and I will discuss the national clown threat sweeping our nation's school districts. Also, we'll have triumphs and fails, a listener call about how much money it takes to start a family, and recommendations. And for our Slate Plus segment, Slate writer Will Salatan will join us for a very frustrating preteen parenting fail. In addition, if you like listening to us with your ears, please like us with your face. Facebook, that is. Mm. I wrote that line at 2 in the morning. Uh, <laughs> In the cold light of day, it did not come out great, but it's too late now. I'm going to soldier on. If I were come you, <laughs> I would give like a hearty fake laugh, which is what you do when my <laughs> lines bomb, but I'm, yeah. I'm not going to do that. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for thanks for not treating me with the simple respect with which I treat you. Uh, come to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. You can see our recommendations. You can listen to old shows. You can yell at Allison for not being nice to me. You can join the thousands of listeners who are as sick of their kids bottle flipping as you are. Um, my short post about how annoying bottle flipping is has gotten a huge response. We can all agree, every single one of us, that bottle flipping is stupid. Uh, it's facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Allison? That's all the announcements we have. So let's move on to triumphs and fails. I'm going to throw it back to you. All right. I have a triumph. We have been uh, slowly chipping away at our summer pinky swears. Luckily, it's still summer. How long uh, are you going to talk about these for? <laughs> How are you doing on yours? <laughs> so the other weekend, we um, we went out to a state park. We went to Sky Meadow State Park in the Blue Ridge Mountains uh, before going apple picking, a favorite summer activity. Uh, and at Sky Meadow State Park, we went for a hike. So on previous hikes that we've been on in beautiful locales such as Yellowstone or other Virginia state parks, uh, Lyra has spent the entire hike just – complaining like just the whole time my legs hurt my feet hurt there's bugs this is stupid can't we just enjoy the outdoors through windows <laughs> etc so and she always asks like why can't i just bring like an ipad and i'm like ah lyra that goes against the entire purpose of being outside 
Uh, so on this hike to beautiful Sky Meadow State Park, we brought along Lyra's friend Sophie. Uh, and one of the things that Lyra and Sophie really like to do the most when they're hanging out together is that they make their own movies on an iPad. Usually they are um, domestic dramas set inside our house. But on this hike, I made Lyra a deal. We would hike, and then after we hiked for a while, I would sit down on a bencher on the forest floor and just hang out, and I would set aside my objections to screens on a hike, and we could just stop in the middle of the woods, and Lyra and Sophie and Harper could make a movie in a spooky forest setting. So that's what we did. They made a movie about a girl whose awful parents make her go on a hike uh, in the woods, and she gets lost, but then she gets rescued from approaching wolves by some other girls. I played a part in it. Guess what part I played? A wolf. Also, an awful dad. Uh, anyways, it was really fun. And Lyra complained on this hike 50% less than usual. And I felt like it was a triumph for me to uh, ease this, I think, not inappropriate restriction no, I agree. on screens on hikes in order to make this hike fun for anyone besides me. I have two questions. One, yeah. would you allow like music on hikes? Like if she would be happy having her phone with music or whatever she listened to music on with headphones on while she walks, would you allow that? Yeah, I guess I would. And then two, did they release this movie on that um, social network that you talked about last time or have you uh, banned musically, that? Musically, no, because yeah. those things are only like 15 seconds long. I believe we put it up on like our private YouTube channel so we could send it to Sophie so she could show it to her mom. Did you put a put an end to Musical.ly? No, we did not put an end to Musical.ly. Um, let's not talk about <laughs> my fail with Musical.ly, Allison. Let's talk about your fail with whatever it is you failed with. Uh, I have a triumph. Oh, good job. Um, but I may be tooting my horn about this a little prematurely. But uh, Saturday is Harry's birthday, and it's also his birthday party, and he's turning eight. Uh, and for the first time ever in the history of having kids, I'm not spending a shit ton of money for his party yet, I guess I should say. <laughs> <laughs> um so in years past, I've all I've always like, oh, I'm not going to spend a lot of money. We're going to, you know, just have it at the house. That's often why we do have it at the house. So it's going to be cheaper instead of like going to one of those party places. But inevitably, a week or so before the party, I like start to panic um, that it's not going to be cool enough. For, and I go out and buy ridiculous amounts of decorations and crap for party favors and way too much food. And just hand out five dollar bills yes. to every kid. <laughs> And afterward, I'm always like, why did I do that? And then, like, a neighbor will have – their kid will have a birthday party that's just, like, five boys have, watching a movie and eating pizza. And I'm like, man. At they least know what I'm better doing. than them. No. They really know what they're doing. The kids had, like, just as much fun there, if not more fun, because there wasn't, like, pressure for, <laughs> for me with all the stuff. But anyway, so I'm not going quite that low-key this year because Harry didn't want – uh, movie and pizza, but we're just doing a flag football party, and all I've spent so far is thirty dollars on a flag belt set and a cake, and we'll buy the kids five guys for dinner. But that's it. I'm not doing any other. I'm not going to like. I don't think between now and Saturday I will be able to put in like a last minute rush order of like football keychains or jerseys for all the kids. So or an actual appearance by Odell <laughs> Beckham Jr. Right. Right. Uh, I, I fully support you in this. It is like remarkable how much time and mental energy is occupied by worries about our children's birthday parties. Yeah. I also have this. I also am like, oh, God, what if the party's terrible? And it's not even I, I guess it's sort of that it reflects on me as a parent. But also it's like I just have this vision of like me screwing this up and my kid never forgetting it for the rest of their life. Yeah, I don't even know if that's what it is. I don't know what it is with me, but it just seems, I just like feel like, oh, our house. It's just like, it's not a party. It's just our house. But uh, that's ridiculous. So hopefully I can keep it under, I don't know, 150. <laughs> All right, let's move on. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, let's move on to our first segment. 
thousands of kids and parents have read Wonder, the story of a fifth grader with severe craniofacial differences who faces bullying in his first year in a real school. The book's message to choose kindness has resonated with kids, with over 50,000 readers taking an online pledge to do just that, to choose kind. October is National Bullying Prevention Month, and the author of Wonder, R.J. Palacio, is joining us today to talk about the Choose Kind campaign and about what she's learned about bullying since writing that first novel. Hi, Raquel. Hi, how are you? Very well. Thank you so much for joining us. To start off with, I'm really interested in how the transition from being a book writer to someone who's also sort of working on this cause in a way on this campaign has has happened what are the mechanics of like turning a bestseller into a public service campaign and how have you gone beyond this pledge to help kids address bullying it's sort of like being in a car that becomes a self-driving car you i guess the book started this it was kind of a rallying cry i guess for people um who who took it as having a very good anti-bullying message um when when I wrote it, I was thinking of it really being more of a meditation on kindness. It was published at a time when um, bullying was very, very much in the zeitgeist, and it became part of the conversation that people, teachers especially, were having with children centered around um, anti-bullying messages. The campaign itself then grew out of that, and at a certain point, I kind of, I, I, I was no longer driving that bus. I think the anti-bullying message kind of went beyond anything that I could have hoped uh, in terms of reading, pe- uh, reaching people. It just went, it went kind of viral on its own. It keeps moving and w- with very little input from me. I, really, it's amazing. So do you see when people come to the site and take that pledge to choose kind, what are, are there sort of follow-up steps that the campaign takes? Are there other resources you point them to? Like what, what is there to it that people can do or that you find that the campaign is doing beyond that? Well, at this point, what I've tried to do now is make Wonder, um, the book and the other books that have followed, to be part of an overall message uh, about kindness. I mean, that that's my angle. I mean, I think one of the wonderful things about the anti-bullying site, the Choose Kind website, is that it's promoting kindness by telling stories. People are sharing their stories of standing up to bullies, of moments when they've been especially kind. That's what we're trying to do, I think, in all the things now that, that I'm, I'm working on making Wonder more of a brand almost um, in terms of trying to give it an umbrella under which um, everyone can gather and, and talk about uh, the message of, of kindness. It's interesting to hear you talk about you, kind of, you sort of fell into being part of this bullying conversation. Mm-hmm. There's some debate, I think, about whether the term bullying has, like, has it become too broad? Does it encompass you know, sort of too many behaviors that are mm-hmm. to some degree not okay but normal right. maybe like where where does just meanness yeah end and, and bullying start How, and, do you think much about that i now? do yeah. i do because i think it's important I, I think for instance the characters in my book a lot of people have taken some of the characters to be bullies whereas when i was writing them i think they are um i mean they you know there is a fine line between um, kids who are being mean and kids who are bullying other kids. And I think actually Emily Bazelon wrote beautifully about um, really sort of the definition of bullying being when there's a disproportionate amount of meanness that can't be responded to by the person that's receiving it. I think, I mean, I'm, that, that's a poor description of her definition, but I think that that's true. I think bullying is when the person on the receiving end really is in a position where they cannot defend themselves or they cannot um, uh, react or respond in a way that that defends themselves, and and um, and so in my book, I, I do have um, some some fifth graders who are obviously trying to bully, but the protagonist of the book actually kind of defends himself pretty well. Uh, the moment of bullying that really does happen toward the end of the book is when they um, come across a, a group of seventh graders who are older than they are. That's when, to me, that's the bullying that happens in the book. That's real bullying. It's dangerous. It's a scary moment for um, for Augie Pullman and his friends. And um, so, so that's what I think of. But, you know, a lot of people have taken Julian to be the main bully. And he is. He is. But I think Augie Pullman is, is able to um, defend himself pretty well against that kind of bullying. It's sad. But he does, he does acquit himself pretty well. I think another part of bullying also is social isolation. And I think the um, I think that is something that Augie Pullman does experience a lot, that sense of social isolation, which is really bad and a different form of bullying. It's it's 
And and yes, but I would say it's definitely a form of bullying. Yeah. And it's something that Jack Will faces too. One of the things that I like about the book is that it's not it's not only Augie who right. faces these things in school. The book is about him and it's his story, but you have these other voices in the book and one of them is his friend Jack Will who who faces that social ostracization for a large part of fifth grade uh, because of a you know some bunch of kids sort of teaming up to try and ice him out, as he says. They ice um, him out because he's friends with Augie Pullman. Basically, right. that's the only thing he's done. He stood up for his friend, and then they try to ice him out because of it. Do you think that your readers, the kids, see that story that way? Do they see Jack Will as 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 important of a character as I did? Oh, I think they do. I think Jack Will is a real hero to a lot of kids, um, just as Summer is. I mean, I, I would say Summer is, especially among girl readers, um, absolutely everybody's favorite. They they all want to be Summer. They all think that they're like Summer. When I go to visit schools, you know, I often ask um, the kids in the audience, you know, so just, you know, and I want you guys to be really honest with me, you know, if Augie Pullman were to have shown up in your school, on the first day of school, and, and before you've read this book, would you have been summer? You know, how many people think they would have been summer? And all the girls raise their hands, you know. and <laughs> <laughs> Liars. Um, <yeah. laughs> well, <laughs> you know, they want to think that they'd be that way. Um, and, uh, and it's the same with, with Jack. You know, obviously no one raises their hand if I say, you know, you know be truthful. Who here thinks they might have been more like Julian? And no one raises their hands. Um, though uh, on one or two occasions, a very brave soul would have raised their hands, and 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 I have to admire that that honesty. Um, but I think a lot of the kids see themselves in Jack. They they find him, they find the fact that he actually um, he had a moment of peer pressure where he kind of betrayed Augie in a in a very heartbreaking way, um, and they could relate to the fact that um, he made a mistake. And he actually felt really badly about it, and Augie forgave him. And and when again, when I go to talk in schools, we talk about just how important it is to understand that you know we're all human, we all make mistakes, and we forgive one another. I mean, that's what friendship is, and that's what the test of friendship is. Is if you can you can get through those hurdles, um, you're you know you could be lifelong friends. And um, and so I think the kids definitely get that Jack is heroic um, in his own way. He's very very noble. And he's, you know, he's a human being. He's a little boy who who makes mistakes, and um, he stood up for his friend when it, it was needed most. I mean, that's also the Jack and the Summer characters. Those are the more common, I think, probably positions that kids find themselves in. Like, most kids are not the really, really mean kid, and most kids right. are not the the bullied kid. Most yeah. kids are, like, somewhere in between trying to find their way through these in, like, social circles and both be, like, good people and... You know, yeah. probably want to be popular. Exactly. And, and not willing to sort of be the one to stand up against the, the group. Um, and in that respect, I would say that Summer is actually much more of a unique character. She's she's an old soul. And I, I think very few people are actually, especially at that age, really Summers. I, I have, I mean, kids ask me, okay, so who do you think you would have been? And I instantly um, point to Charlotte. Now, Charlotte's a minor character in the book. Um, she throughout the book is, you know, she's always been nice. She's not one of the kids that's ever been obviously mean to Augie, but, um, she's never really gone out of her way to be anything other than nice. And so for me, what I like to point out is the difference between Summer and Charlotte. It's kind of like the difference between just being nice and choosing kind. Yeah. Um, you know, Summer actually has to go out of her way to choose kindness. She has to, you know, it's an act. It's a, it's a, it's a forward motion kind of thing. Whereas Charlotte, you know, she kind of like, you know, she waves from a distance and she'll say, hi, Augie, you know, kind of like 10 feet away. But she never really goes out of her comfort zone until the end of the book, I think, is when she finally kind of uh, we know from her precept, which is, you know, it's not enough to be um, friendly, to be a friend. You know, you, you really have to kind of sometimes go out of your way. I think she learns by the end of the book that maybe um, things will be different in the sixth grade for her and Augie. I'm totally a Charlotte also. Yeah, I think yeah. I, yeah, I think we I all think are. I think most people yeah. are. Yeah. It's hard to be brave. It is hard. And, you know, George Saunders in that incredible um, commencement speak that, speech that went viral a couple of years ago, he, he talked about what he remembers most in, or what he regrets most in life are those failures of kindness. We go back and we wish we could have done something differently. And, and I think that Charlotte to me is that character. I mean, I think she'll look back. When she's 30 years old on that fifth grade year and think, oh, I wish I'd been nicer to Augie Pullman. Yeah. Yeah. When so one thing that um, a lot, I think a lot of parents think about a lot in the context of bullying is not just what to do if their 
kid is bullied, but what to do if their kid is the bully. And, you know, one, it's interesting to me that you, you wrote this other book, Augie and me. And one of the stories in that book is Julian's story, the story of the kid who is sort of the aggressor in this uh, dynamic in wonder. Um, and his parents are like totally clueless for most of that yeah. story and are, uh, and are often somewhat villainous, but like many parents, they still like have some moral sense and want the best thing for their kid and don't want their kid to be a bully. How can parents stay in the loop on stuff like this? And what can they do if they're worried that their kid is not treating other kids with kindness the way they would like to see them treat them? Yeah, yeah, it's really tough. I think I, I, for instance, with Julian's parents, I do. I think you are right. I think they are clueless in that they are so blind. They're blind to their son's faults, and um, they want to blame the rest of the world for. I mean, in in a way, what I see with Julian's mother, especially, is that she wants, she adores her son, as we all adore our children. And she just wants to make the world as easy and and carefree as possible for him. Um, and she wants him to be happy. And so in the pursuit of that, for her son, I think she just loses sight of what she's doing. And, and sort of her, her moral compass is completely off. And I think a lot of parents lose sight of ultimately what's right and wrong in their desire to make the world a safe haven for their kids. So sometimes I think they justify their kids' bullying behavior because they have this sense of, I don't want him to be bullied, so I'd rather him be a bullier than than bullied, you know? And, and they see the world in this, these terms, and, and they want their kids to be on top of the pecking order or the social hierarchy or whatever it is that they kind of see this world of, you know, um, aggressors and, and people who are aggressed upon, you know? And, and so I... I think the best thing to do, I mean, what I would say to parents, hopefully, is just, you know, be honest. Look in your hearts and, and try to figure out uh, what's going on with your child in terms of um, the other children. I mean, how do the other children, how do the parents of the other children perceive your child? Uh, is your child in the middle of a lot of drama at school? Um, and is your child's name always coming up in terms of being part of some sort of social uh, confrontation and and if you see these patterns and you're honest with yourself that you might think that well there's there's something going on here and my my child is um I don't know my child must be doing something or putting something out there that is not that nice because kids seem to be reacting to uh to what they're putting out and um, hopefully parents could have that kind of honesty or have someone around them uh, in the Julian chapter actually you know it's it's the grandmother who can see things with very fresh eyes and bring them to the realization as a family that Julian was actually being a bully and that needed to stop. I think the other thing is like, and the grandmother I think feels this, like it's important as parents to recognize that like if your kid is bullying or a bully, that doesn't, that like they're not written off. Like right. you, you can have this <laughs> child in your home that's like this wonderful, yeah. you know, kind, caring, generous, Absolutely. whatever child who then when he goes out or she goes out into the world maybe behaves differently for whatever reason. Um, and so sometimes it's hard to see that. And Absolutely. In fact, that I think the grandmother and why she's a very dear character to me is she, she points that out. You know, just because you've made a mistake doesn't make you a bad kid. You're not yeah. a bad kid, in fact. And I know you're not a bad kid. And I know you have a great heart. And I know you're capable of better than this. And this is um, what I'm expecting of you. And um, you know, she inspires through storytelling um, a different kind of behavior. And I, th I think because the parents were, you know, they had this uh, mental block or this blind spot, they, they weren't able to inspire better behavior from their son. They didn't require it. And I think as parents, you know, we should, we should sort of raise the bar on what we expect of our kids, you know. And, and you know, you know what, um, that meanness that people talk about that happens in middle school that as is, as if it's a necessary evil that all middle schoolers have to go through. It's like I don't buy into that at yeah. all, and um, and I, I think it's something that as a society we've just become very um, accustomed to the idea that okay, if you're in middle school, it's going to be awful, and everyone's going to be mean to each other, and you just have to get through it. And um, I, I think we as a society again need to sort of raise the bar on what we expect of our kids. It's like no, um, you know, you don't have to be friends with the kids you were friends with in kindergarten anymore if you have different interests and stuff. That's that's understood. But it doesn't mean it gives you the right to be um, terrible to them. It doesn't mean you, it gives you the right to mistreat them. 
Yeah, you talk in the afterward to one of the new editions of Wonder about wanting to address not just overt bullying, but you say, I think the line is the kind of petty meanness that passes for normal in schools, and that mm. did really strike me. All right, so last question for you, Raquel. Uh, so the Wonder movie is coming yeah. in April, uh, starring Julia Roberts and Jacob Tremblay. Please tell us one thing about shooting that totally surprised you. Oh, wow. Um, I guess this is more behind the scenes in terms of the shooting. Um, just when I went there and my family went there um, in August and we were there for about 10 days. Where was there? In Vancouver. They in Vancouver, shot. Okay. Yeah. They're shooting a few scenes here in New York as well, but um, mostly it's shot in Vancouver. And I was struck by how the message of the book pervaded everything from the way the director, Stephen Shbosky, so beautifully um, directed everybody with this sort of level of kindness to the way, you know, the, the electricians, the gas, the, oh, the grips, the, uh, I mean, everybody on the crew, they had this idea because they'd all read the book. They all, I mean, everyone kept on telling me just how this movie set was unlike anything they've ever been on in terms of how there's a kindness kind of there. There's a, there's a zeitgeist of just kindness. I mean, people were telling me, uh, I had people coming up to me saying, you know, um, I gave up another job just because I wanted to be on this movie set because I, I loved your book so much. And I really think that the message is so important now more than ever. I kept on hearing that. Now more than ever, we need the message of kindness out in the world. And I wanted to be part of this movie. And it's been like the most amazing experience of my life because I, I look forward to coming to work every day. Everyone treats each other with, with such kindness and respect. And it's just been an amazing experience. And so this from the crew, and, you know, these are people who've been working in the industry for, you know, decades. Um, hearing that over and over again from different people, uh, th that was something I had not expected at all. And it was really a thrill for me, actually. I have to say, it was really, um, I was very moved by that. My understanding is that movie directors are required to be bullies in order to make movies. So I'll be very excited <laughs> to see if this movie even ever gets finished. Yeah, <laughs> not this one and not, not the producers. I have to say, I mean, everyone involved from the producers on down, they, they really wanted to tell this story. They, they all have children. They all are, you know, they, they really wanted to tell the story in a way that was respectful to the message of the book. And they, every decision they made really started from that point. I mean, from the, the, the head of Lionsgate on down, um, they, they just wanted to make a movie that would matter in the world. And, um, you know, I'm sure they want to make some money doing it, too. I'm not saying that that's not the case, <laughs> but I think they really, the intention of the movie is to honor the book and, and the message of the book. And, and for that, I'm deeply grateful. All right. The movie comes out in April. The books, of course, are out now. Thank you, RJ Raquel Thank Palacio. You, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, let's move on to our listener call. Every week, we take a listener call and try to answer it. Please call us with your questions at 424-255-7833. This week, we have a call from Eloise in Brooklyn. My husband and I have been married uh, just for a couple months, and we're starting to think about having kids. But one of the big questions in our minds that is a little hard for us to wrap our heads around is how much kids will cost. Um, we both work full time. We both make good salaries. We've got a mortgage. We've got aging parents um, and all of these things, at least for me, because I'm a planner and a little bit of a neurotic person, um, are kind of confusing and and. Um, way heavy on me and on us when we think about how to plan for a family. Um, we are in our late 20s and early 30s, so we've been together for five years. We were in some ways very ready to have children, but also aware that this whole money thing is a big factor, and we're not sure how how much planning couples typically do in, in thinking about the role that money will play in having children. Thanks. How uh, much money will children cost? How much you got? 
No, before we answer that, did you plan financially before starting to have kids? Nope. Did you? No. No. We we have continued to not plan financially after we have kids. (laughs) I mean, like we have a 529 that their grandpa set up that he put money in, but I don't think we've ever contributed to it. Like, you know, my feeling going in, which I think is proved right, is that basically unless you're incredibly rich – Having kids is really expensive and will tax your financial resources, and there's there's like no other solution to that. So maybe this was a dumb and fatalistic way to go into it, but we were just like, well, we're not ever going to be immensely wealthy, so we're never going to be in like a particularly better financial position to have kids. So if we're going to do it, might as well just do it. Yeah, I mean, we were sort of the same way. I find my that I have much more emotional intelligence than financial intelligence, and that uh, <laughs> led to us having multiple children um, and probably, like, not contributing to a 401k since the day Harry was born. But, you know, it's not crazy to think about money going in. And it, I think the, you know, we don't know the specifics, Eloise, of your financial situation, but it sounds like, you know, you have a mortgage in Brooklyn, you both have jobs. Um, so to a certain degree, like it sounds like it will be an expense, but something that you can handle if you had called in and said, I'm not sure whether should I have, I have kids because my husband's been out of work for two years and I'm working three jobs. I might have a different answer for you. But, right. um, you know, if you want to have kids, you'll find a way to make it work. Just like in brief, there's the like cost of actually having like the beginning part of just having the baby um depending on like your family your you know your parents and your husband's parents situation like a lot of times family members help you buy that kind of stuff cribs and all the you know sort of one-time purchase crap that you need so that's one expense and then the like ongoing expense if you both work is childcare, and that's like you know roughly in brooklyn like a thousand dollars a week for a nanny or like i don't know sixteen hundred dollars a month to two thousand dollars a month for um daycare i might have the daycare numbers off if you can find it yeah yeah so i mean that's the major expense not you know in the early years it's not like food or anything like that that will kill you it's the child care right uh one thing that i do wish that i had a better sense of before we got pregnant um that i think is useful to know is that a lot of the expense for many, many families is really concentrated in those first five years. And it can be really daunting those first five years. Like you look at the amount of money you are spending on childcare, on doctor's visits, on like fucking diapers. And it's like, oh my God, we're never going to have money again. But it can get easier in many ways when your kids get to school, when they're sort of immediate, like health and bodily needs are a little less crazy. Obviously you're buying more clothes when they're older, but just like in general, we have found the financial aspect of having kids much more manageable now that school picks up like a lot of that load, that childcare load. Um, and, and so, but we were really caught by surprise at first by how much money we were like sending out into the void just f- for the basic task of keeping our kid alive. Yeah, I mean, I think that's good advice. We often talk about like, you know, we still have one of our kids is still in preschool, so we're still paying for schooling, but, um, yeah, we talk about once they're all in public school, like how that will not that we're going to be like living large then, but we'll maybe actually be able to like take some money and put it away, which we don't do now. Right. Um, but yeah, I think if you can like manage and we managed for five years or continue to manage by dipping into savings, also by sometimes getting help. Um, it's like it's the toughest five years. And then there's college and weddings and stuff. Right. But maybe, maybe, as I have always assumed, the college tuition bubble will collapse at exactly the time that our kids reach college age and all our problems will be solved. Also, I find it interesting. I mean, this might be wrong. Just this is all anecdotal. But like, again, like Dan, Dan says he didn't think about this really before having kids. We also didn't really think about it. Uh, Maybe we're just not, you know, planners or don't go about things in the correct way. But like, I do find a lot more people, you young people these days that actually do seem like tripped up by this notion. Maybe that's because you like got out of college when there weren't any jobs. But um, it's interesting to me. It seems like a general generational divide to some degree, like how how financially sound and secure your lives have to be before going into having kids. Well, we're definitely of a generation where maybe like the last generation for a while that got out of college and there were jobs and right. we basically, and we felt pretty secure in our ability to like keep on trucking no matter what happened. Right. And yeah, the, the people younger than us don't necessarily have that sense. So I can definitely see them feeling a lot more uncertainty. Um, 
But you'll be okay, Eloise. You'll be okay. If you want to have the kids, have the kids. Just, I mean, I hope you love ramen. Do you love ramen? I hope you love ramen. All right. If you have a question for us, give us a call. 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE. Or what all the other parents will think Allison is when their kids come home from the birthday party with no goodie bags. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Late last week, a curiously titled email arrived in my inbox. Update on national clown threat. It read, I laughed and clicked on it, read the message, which was from our school district, which said, in part, all of our administrators are aware of the issue and we have been in contact with our local law enforcement partners. The police chiefs have assured us that officers are assigned to provide extra attention to our schools to ensure student and staff safety as they monitor the situation. If you see anything suspicious, remember, we're talking about clowns here. It didn't say that. That's just me. Please contact the appropriate police department or call 911. So I forwarded the email to my husband with the letters L and O and L, and I laughed about it with our colleagues. And then a few hours later, I checked Facebook, and there was this long thread in one of my town's great chatty Facebook groups all about the clown threat with parents of young kids talking about how their children are like totally freaked out about the clown rumors, which are apparently all anyone talks about during recess these days. And one poster wrote... This is a quote. My child just called me in tears because another child told her the clowns had moved up the day and were coming today. She called to tell me she loved me. (laughs) (laughs) Which this made me laugh, but also feel horrible for this mom's child. So I wondered, wait, do I have to talk to my kids about the clowns? So, Dan, have you talked to your kids about the clowns? And is it enough to laugh this whole thing off? Or is it something actually like real to worry about here? Not the clowns, but just the clown situation. Sorry, that was my friend Pennywise just weighing in on that this sounded one a lot too. like your fake laugh. <laughs> That's what I based it on. Uh, Pennywise's laugh right before he kills someone. The clowns have not come up that much in Arlington. There was a rumor last week of clown-related social media postings shutting down a middle school, not our middle school, but a different middle school in Arlington. Um, The messages that we get from the school district are very vague. They do not mention killer clowns at all. Uh, And there have been no specific references to it in the press. So I'm not sure if clown hysteria has gotten here. Um, But it definitely is everywhere. And we definitely have not talked to our kids about killer clowns yet. But so are you going to talk to your kids about killer clowns? No. I mean, I talked to John that night and we said, like, unless they bring it up, let's not bring it up. We don't need to freak them out unnecessarily. So they haven't brought it up. So, no, we haven't talked about it. But um, it's definitely like... There are schools that are banning clown costumes for their Halloween parades. And, like, when we went to buy Halloween costumes, John was like, I really want to buy a clown and, like, a fake knife. And of course, of course. Terrorize the yeah. neighborhood. Um, would you I let mean, your- Halloween this year is going to be nothing but Trumps and clowns, right? Yeah. Like Trump clowns. But would you let your kids go as, like, killer clowns if they wanted to this year? Yes. Yes, I guess I would. Like, I mean, I wouldn't let them go to school on an average day as a killer clown. But on Halloween, like killer clown is a funny costume like that would be delightful and what do you think about schools like there are schools that are banning clown costumes look i mean if i'm a teacher i hate halloween in general because it is it's just like sucks an entire day away and i have to deal with kids and their costumes fighting about their costumes so if there's any costume that's going to be like any kind of distraction sure i'm fine with saying yes don't wear that in school and i'm sure that in schools where like clown craziness has swept the entire school population and wearing a clown costume would be a great way to like get all your peers to freak out at you and scream at you for an entire day so sure say they can't wear it in school although to be fair child-sized clowns are not the issue it's mysterious adult-sized clowns stepping out of the woods uh threatening kids supposedly and then walking away what this reminds me of sort of more than anything is the slender man craziness that is still ongoing for many middle schoolers especially but you know has been going on for years of this like mythical figure who spreads somehow virally through kid communities 
almost totally bypassing adult communities um, and somehow like gets nationwide. Like somehow this thing is in the air and people start obsessing about it and people start seeing this thing everywhere, thinking about this thing all the time. The concern is not really with like someone wearing a clown costume for Halloween or even like the jokes that people make in school that might get taken the wrong way. The concern is with people who like with kids who take these things to heart and totally freak out the way that the kid in that Facebook posting you mentioned did. And I don't know how to just straight up say like it's total hysteria that everyone's having. You can just ignore it because I feel like kids don't work that way. Kids hear things like this and the very fact that everyone is talking about it makes it essentially true to them. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's just like a scary movie and it doesn't work to say like, that's not real. Like, my kids are still up late at night, scared about whatever Harry Potter character, even though I've told them a million times it's not real. Right. Here's a question for you. Do you think that this is a myth that has any ties to any actual fears that kids have? Or is it just like a convenient boogeyman that just happens to be a clown in this case, but could be any boogeyman for any kid at any time in their life? Are you asking me if the clowns are Donald Trump? That's the clowns represent Donald you, Trump. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the answer to that question. I do know we ran a post last week by Matt Desum that was like a pretty amazing look back at all of the clown scares throughout recent history, starting in 1981, 1981. Yeah. yeah, in Brookline, Massachusetts. And like, we'll post this on our on our Facebook page or our show page. It's a, it's crazy. I mean, this is like this is nothing new. So I don't necessarily, and I I didn't certainly didn't go back to like try to see if something was happening in September 1992 and also something happening in June 1994 and something happening in August 1997 to like, you know, explain why these clown scares pop up when they do. Um, but, but yes, they have existed forever. I mean, they've existed, in fact, pre-it, pre-Stephen yeah. King's it. Uh, but post-Stephen King's it, they've become just basically an every two-year occurrence. Every two years, some place in America gets overwhelmed by by clown hysteria and now uh, that every kid basically in middle school has some kind of social media connection it seems like that's why it can now go nationwide you know what they're probably sharing it on musically i bet that's what it is (laughs) so a colleague of ours told me the story about i asked our colleagues if that like what the clown situation was in their town (laughs) and I believe our colleague, like, part of me feels like this in itself is a rumor, but I I, get, I believe our colleague. So there's a freshman at her town's high school who set up a social media account called something like Killer Clown and made a jokey threat. And when he got to school the next day, the police were there and arrested him. And the school sent out alerts about the arrest to, you know, the, the school community. And according to our colleague, the kid was ultimately charged with a third-degree felony, which seems crazy to me. Like, I do not want my kids to be scared about this non- threat but i also don't want like kids who are too dumb to realize that they shouldn't like do these hoaxes to be arrested yes i totally agree uh the idea that you can take any sort of like obvious example of dumb teen boy behavior uh that harms no one really and is just like a a serious lapse in judgment and like charge them with a felony is absurd. Putting the clown costume on it makes it also sort of funny. Uh, But like that totally sucks that that happened to that kid. There are so many things that I did when I was a teenager that got written off as like mischief that now it definitely feels as though under certain circumstances, under certain kinds of hysteria that schools live in every day uh, would just like, ruin my life and and it doesn't serve middle schoolers and high schoolers at all to have them feel like anytime they step out of line it's not just that they're going to get in school suspension but they are going to be like booked and thrown in the back of a cop car yeah i would one last thing or two last things one is that i would rather my kids be scared about clowns than be scared about shooters like i'd yeah. rather that, that this is what kids are talking about on the you know on school grounds um and not like uh, mass shootings well so i didn't want to like get like too much into it but that was that was sort of what i was thinking about instead of like donald trump like if this is a way of dealing with that specific anxiety with like lockdown anxiety uh and the fact that our kids are constantly in schools having these reminders that at any moment like 
someone could bust into their classroom with a gun. Uh, you know, the notion of clowns creeping at the edge of the woods to me seems congruent in some ways with this larger sense of of a school that has to be constantly on its guard yeah. because some threat in the outside world is always sort of looming. Like that is that is something that I worry about. And then and that's why that's sort of the argument for not completely laughing this off, like not actually being scared about it, but not just like tossing it off if your kids mention it. Right. That it's that it's potentially representative of some of larger a real fear. fear. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. Final question. Are you scared of clowns? I am not scared of clowns under normal circumstances, like a circus or a children's birthday party. How much would it suck right now to be a clown who does children's birthday parties, by the way? Really bad. I read an interview with a clown who was like, it's not just that we can't like that we're losing money, but like that part of my like life is about bringing joy to people. And now people are just totally scared of me. Now all he has left to do is murder people, which was the other part of his life that he enjoyed about being a clown. Uh, no, if I like ran into a clown in a dark alley or speaking to me from a sewer, I would be terrified. But if I just meet clowns under ordinary circumstances, it's fine. Are you scared of clowns? Mm, eh, maybe a little. I don't know. Yeah, kind of. Clowns and horses. What? <laughs> We'll talk You're about scared. horses when there's like a great, the great, the national horse threat. We'll come, we'll come back to this. Uh, okay, right. let's, let's move Moving on to recommendations. On. What do you have? Uh, well, actually, before we go to recommendations, I want to tell our listeners, uh, we want to know what is going on with the clown threat in your neighborhood. We want to track the national clown threat. Uh, so post to our Facebook page about whether you feel like this is crazy and overblown and your school is driving you crazy with clown based emails or whether like it's something you take seriously in some respect, whether for its actual threat or its metaphorical threat uh, to the well-being of your kids. We want to know. Facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Okay. My recommendation. Um, we asked recently uh, on the Facebook page for recommendations of podcasts, uh, of other podcasts that our listeners like. And I have a recommendation for a podcast for all of you. It is a podcast for kids specifically. Uh, it's called The Unexplainable Disappearance of Mars Patel. Uh, it is a serial podcast drama that just launched a couple weeks ago. So sort of like our, like Panoply's own The Message, but starring a cast of kid actors. Uh, each episode is between like 15 and 20 minutes long. It's in classic serial form, which means that each episode sort of ends on a cliffhanger. And then you have to wait a week to find out what happens next. Um, it's set in sort of a, a weird uh, private school in the Pacific Northwest that's on an island for some reason that we have not yet been told. And one of the students in that school, Mars Patel, is a real troublemaker. He's a regular in detention uh, along with a bunch of other kids. But one by one, his fellow troublemakers are disappearing and no one will talk about it. Lyra is totally into this podcast. I listen to it as well. I really like it. It's super fun. It is funny and mysterious. It has a really interesting, diverse cast. Uh, the lead and his family are South Asian American. Um, there is a trans kid in the cast. It's or at least a, an actor playing a trans kid. All the kid parts are played by kid actors. They are charming kid actors. It's a fun story. I think it'd be really great for like fourth grade and up. Um, and I would be really happy if there were there was way more audio drama out there for kids. It seems like a really fun medium that people could be exploiting more. So get on it, Panoply. That's really cool. What is it called again? It is called The Unexplainable Disappearance of Mars Patel. Okay. That sounds great. How about you? Um, I have two pieces to recommend, one in Slate, one not. Uh, the Slate piece is Leon Nafak's extremely funny and touching essay about how he and his wife go to bed together at the same time every night and why. Did you read this, Dan? I did. I did read this. It provoked much discussion between me and Alia in bed while we were sitting, <laughs> laying there talking because we go to bed at the same time. Do you How about really? you? Did you and John talk about it? Well, in so bed my at the first same reaction, time? my first reaction to this essay was like, I want to marry Leon and his wife, Alice. <laughs> And my second reaction was to send it to John with like the little subject line of maybe we should do this. And he has not responded. <laughs> um, but my third reaction was to send Leon a message in all caps that just said, just wait until you have kids. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was like, I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, but it's totally but, worth a read. I uh, We're saying so many things we want to put on our Facebook page that we want to hear from listeners on. But this is one that I really, really am curious. Like, is this, do most people go to bed at the same time as their spouse? Like, what are the reasons to do so? What are the reasons to not do so? I feel that Leon left out one 
real reason that husbands stay up later than their wives, which I won't get onto on this podcast because it's a family podcast. Wait, um, <laughs> what's the reason? Porn? Well, Is it just porn? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And uh, I, shouldn't I, be ge- a- I shouldn't be so gender normative about that. I actually. know. Um, you really do got you guys do, do go to bed at the same time? Most of the time. I mean, there are definitely nights where one of us has to like stay up late to work. And there there is like also sort of a charm to someone had to go to bed. And then when you're finished with your work, you go to bed and the like the bed's all warm because they've warmed it up for you. That's great, too. But yes, most nights we try and go to bed at the same time. Wow. Because like talking about that's the only time we get to talk about stuff. And I really like talking about stuff with my wife. Yeah. We do it on the couch, though. Oh, all right. Anyway, I'm not I'm not uh, dissing this practice. I'm kind of jealous of it, and I think we actually should try it. Um, but it was I love I don't know. It was just like I, I love this exciting new thing you're gonna try. Yeah, it hadn't of occurred going to, bed to me. At the same time as your <laughs> okay, so I recommend that piece. Um, and then the second piece, which I'm recommending, I'm recommending it more as a hate read. I'm sorry, I'm gonna be super judgmental now. Alert, alert! There's a New York Times essay called "Our Sleep Training Nightmare" oh, that God. ran earlier this week, or was it last? Maybe late last week. Uh, the nightmare part of that headline is accurate, but I would not exactly say the woman who wrote the piece actually did try to sleep train her kid. I really, really, this piece just made me so nuts. I won't prejudice it anymore. I would love to hear what you guys think about it. So I will also post that on our Facebook page and see what happens. I uh, definitely recommend reading that in a room where no one can hear you scream out loud because you'll definitely scream out loud while you read it. That is our show. Visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting to comment on the nightmare sleep training article. Tell me when you go to bed uh, with your spouse or if you do not. Uh, talk about clown threats. What else? We gave them so many things. Just whatever. Talk to us about anything. Anything. Send us an email at slate.com to suggest guests or topics or tell us what you think about all of the things that we just mentioned that you should go to Facebook for. And call us with questions at 424-255-7833. Mom and Dad are Fighting as part of the Panoply Network. Check out Panoply's full roster of shows at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Thanks so much to our producer, Afim Shapiro. Thanks to Steve Lichtai, the managing producer of Sleep Podcasts, and Andy Bowers, head of Panoply. Thanks to our guests, RJ Palacio. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Allison. And thank you all for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.